Broadcasting from a tiny office in a parking garage, it's the Relevant Podcast. Relevant Podcast. Anytime, anywhere. Friday, April 25th, 2008, and this is The Relevant Podcast, the audio companion to Relevant Magazine and RelevantMagazine.com. I'm Cameron Strang, and here with me is a uh, truncated crew a bit. When you say truncated, I immediately, I, I mean, I know what it means, but for some reason it makes me think of, uh, like, that we're amputees. Now, you know what it makes me think of is that Dorf the golf guy. Dorf, exactly. That's what I think. I think of Dorf. You know, I don't know that reference. We're a truncated crew. <laughs> and hilarious. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one that thinks that Dorf is hysterical. I'm Cameron Strang, and here with me is editorial director Adam Smith. Hello, hello. And web guru Lloyd Kinsley. Hello, listeners. Maya is home organizing a garage right now. Oh, all right. Because we're, we're moving in a couple weeks, and there's a lot to get done. you got to have that garage organized. You don't want to see... You want the moving people to show up, and you have a messy garage. That's embarrassing. You might have noticed our the newest addition to the Relevant family at the beginning of the podcast. That is our new... Uh, uh, what MC uh, spokesperson announcer? announcer. Our there our you go. A new announcer, Stevie K. Is Stevie K is is uh, going to be with us for a while now. I'm, I'm excited about what. Yeah, we've we've kicked it up a notch. We have an announcer. We have an official announcer, mm-hmm. and let's just say that in the coming weeks, his skills will be put to use in very unusual ways. Yeah. What I'm uh, disturbing even. What I'm hoping is that eventually this grows into the kind of thing where you know we banter back and forth with Stevie K, like you know, like Jay would with Kevin Eubanks. <laughs> yeah, whenever he gets awkward, we're gonna then throw yeah, it. Say Stevie K, Stevie K, everybody. <laughs> In addition to the addition of Stevie K, so that's multiplication. <laughs> We've got several cool features coming up in this week's podcast. First and foremost, we've got an in-studio live performance by Leland. You've been waiting for it. You've been clamoring for it. You've I've seen emails. I've seen things on the message boards. Yeah. It's here. It's yeah. here. It's here today, folks. Uh, so you'll want to stay tuned for that. You know what? I was thinking about just running like one song just to mess with you, but I think I'll run all three. And here's the thing. Not worth the wait. I'm joking. I'm joking. It's awesome. It's awesome. I'm totally joking. Please, Leland, don't be mad. We love you, and you did a great job. Um, and also, I mean, listen, you know, because we took a couple weeks off, we are coming back, and we're making it up to you. So I want we want to chock full this week's podcast. We had to jam it to the point that it was busting at the seams. That was like a fat guy in Lycra. We split the oh. podcast pants. Yeah, right down the middle. Fortunately, it's we're rotund. wearing we're wearing a long shirt, so <laughs> so we're able to still do it. Yeah, it's rotund, but not slightly. <laughs> yeah, we've got a cardigan we can tie around our waist. <laughs> so, uh, in addition to an epic performance by Leland coming up, we also have an interview coming up. 
Now, you know, who do we interview? You know, it's you know maybe some Christian author, maybe some pastors. No, no, no. What we interviewed an Oscar-winning filmmaker, the producer of An Inconvenient Truth, Leslie Chilcott. I thought you were going to say Gary Busey. Oh, so was I. <laughs> yeah, no. he he is an Oscar winner. <laughs> That's scary. So, uh, an Oscar-winning filmmaker, Leslie Chilcott, she's coming up later. I actually uh, ran into her. Not, I didn't run into her in passing. She was part of the trip that we took to Africa. They're actually doing a documentary on the Peace Initiative and some of the stuff that's happening over there. So, the crew, Fox Searchlight Feature Films, Fo- what is it? Fox Searchlight, who did an Inconvenient Truth, is doing this documentary for a full theatrical release. It's a big deal. It's a big mm. deal. Is yeah. I had to sign a, a release. I might appear in it. Oh wow! Yeah. Hmm. Well, not like because I had any speaking parts, but because my head might have yeah, speaking gone, parts. Did it gave you dialogue? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Say this, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might have walked in the background somewhere. <laughs> so be on the lookout for that next summer. So anyway, I, I guarantee you, if I'm in it, I will tell you the exact minute <laughs> second, the frame. Yeah. Uh, so Leslie Chilcott coming up later. So, you know, when we bring it, we bring it right. Mm-hmm. This is one, this is going to be one that people will remember. It's, it's on to the break at dawn is what you're saying. That is true. Or it's like, on like Megatron. Ooh, I like that. Or like Donkey Kong. Any of those. Speaking of Donkey Kong, Megatron, and the break at dawn, entertainment releases coming up this week. <laughs> We've got uh, Baby Mama starring Tina Fey. And 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 I though I love Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, I, I'm kind of terrified. I don't uh, know. Yeah, I've heard terrible things. Yeah, yeah. I looked I looked at that and I thought Cameron's gonna hope that's good because he loves Tina Fey, but sadly that film looks like it's gonna disappoint. Yeah. I was really hoping that it was just a bad trailer, but <laughs> no. What I've heard is that it's a Saturday Night Live skit that goes on about 115 minutes too long. Oh, yeah, so, that's too bad. Ah, oh, Tina. Harold and Kumar escape from Guantanamo Bay. The movie poster of Neil Patrick yeah. Harris riding a unicorn. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever seen a better movie poster. Did you see uh, the commercials are running um, for it? Are, are the cleaned up version? Oh. So it's more family friendly. Oh yeah. And they over they show a scene and then just overdub about three quarters of the dialogue, <laughs> <laughs> which means that it's probably filthy. Yeah, so, yeah. I'm sure it is. Just, oh, we knew that. Yeah, yeah. just FYI. Uh, Deception is coming out. That's Hugh Jackman, Ewan McGregor, and others. Music coming out on Tuesday. We got a few here. You know what? I'm going to do something new. I'm going to spotlight an audio spotlight of the week. I'm going to I'm going to do a CD audio spotlight of the week from now on. We need a we need a little bump to that. Can someone sing that? Yeah. Can someone <laughs> sing audio spotlight the of the week? Is, can it be an audio spotlight? Because surely spotlight is when the spotlight is shone on something. And if you are doing an audio, then You're it's thinking of silent. that spotlight, but there are other definitions to the word spotlight. This is an audio... It's proverbial. The I proverbial spotlight. There we go. Well, you yeah. can, can you sing that now, please? The verb of spotlight. The proverbial audio spotlight of the week. There you go. I think it needs more harmonies. All right. So anyway, coming out... On Tuesday, we got Portishead with third. We got Santa Gold with Santa Gold. Santa Gold was in our new music issue. Uh, she was indeed. She was in the new music guide. One of the coolest looking females. Oh, a great picture. Yeah. Dismas is coming out with Dismas. And speaking of which, Dismas, we have a live performance by them as well coming up we do. soon. Wow. Soul Embraced with Dead Alive. And now it's time for the proverbial <laughs> audio spotlight. Of the week. 
Yeah, okay, I'm just thrown. That just threw me. Sorry. Uh, it's The Roots with Rising Downs coming on Tuesday. Here is uh, a sample. You've been aching for that. Cause what they playing on the station is wet. And I'm a legend in the flesh. They're dressed to impress. The best is that which I accept. And nothing less my stack to protest my squad. So fresh. You know it's black though in your block. The protest but So, you know, two reasons why that, that clip is important for you to... Uh, to absorb and really embrace. Not only is that album coming out on Tuesday, you should check it out. It's socially conscious hip hop's good stuff. But we are um, the roots is going to be in the July issue of Relevant. Yeah, that's uh, that's what it's looking like. Um, the, they're they're most definitely in an upcoming issue. Ah, we ah. are ninety nine percent sure it will be the July issue. Nice, so good teaser. Just a little teaser for you. Be on the lookout for um, There's some. There's actually some big things developing for the July issue musically. Nice. So. Very cool. Yeah. Okay, so uh, there's your entertainment releases. That's your introduction to Stevie K. And up next, Slices. Oh no I didn't mean to say what I did say What by lovers and how they should lay You're listening to The Kooks. The song is See the Sun from the album Conk. The common thread of the music this week is these are albums that have come out in the last week or so. Uh, it's an eclectic little selection that we have here for you. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard Moby with I Love to Move in Here, which is very true, from the album Last Night, which came out last week. Not last night. You know... <coughs> I'm like, I'm stressed out. Why is that? I, ever since Africa, I've had, just it seems like I've been able to stop. You know what I mean? Like yeah. a lot of stuff. So I feel like, I feel tense. I need some tips on things I can do to unwind a little bit, to loosen up a little bit. Tips on things to unwind or loosen up? Yeah. Um, I could come rub your shoulders. <laughs> no, I'm just talking about in life. Like something I can do kind of every day. So, uh, Have you, you ever and, thought about whittling? Hmm. Whittling is, I mean, that's a fairly relaxing hobby. Swimming. Um, swimming's a good swimming one. Swimming is a really good way to just relax. Cool. What, what if yeah, you... You do, uh, you do at the moment. You... You're not going too soon. Or are you? No, is I, your new place have a pool? I'm going to have a pool. You have a pool. I got that one at Baldwin I used to go to. Well, yeah, that's down in that's the neighborhood. That's a pool. That's full of, that's full of other people's it's full of pee. Well, let me uh, tell you now, that one's a lot cleaner than the one I swim in. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, about, what about fashioning a, a canoe out of a log? Room. Space. Logs. Lack of logs. Lack of logs. Uh, can I suggest experimental music? <laughs> I bet you play about it. It really helps Lloyd out. I'm not kidding. I'm as, I'm as calm as a Hindu cow. <laughs> That's calm. Hmm. All good suggestions. Uh, you know, it's, it's fun to take Silly Putty and uh, copy comic strips with it. Yep. And then you can stretch the people's faces all Are out. Are you proportion. just telling me stuff you did as a kid in Kentucky? Are you just listing off stuff that you did <laughs> on a Saturday afternoon? Kind of. <laughs> but it always seemed to help. Well, you were nine. There was a time in my life when I was very stressed you out. Need, yeah, you need to pick up a hobby. Silly putty always seemed to Going help. Going to magic games is my hobby, but they're very tense. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. That's you need, not relaxed. You need like a hobby that's like you going somewhere on your own and doing something. 
That sounds boring. <laughs> what about lawn darts? You ever thought about lawn darts? Well, moving to a downtown condo, I won't have a lawn. Hmm. You if- could throw stuff out the window. Yeah, you could just throw lawn darts out the window. <laughs> you could play water bomb space invaders. You pretend the cars are the aliens and you Cops just throw water bombs. <laughs> oh, you guys aren't much help. I'm sorry. That's okay. I'll just probably just turn to alcoholism. I'm, uh, <laughs> that I mean, that's uh, that's a big help. Um, <laughs> that doesn't I'm, mind you. I don't. Down. I don't really. I can't really identify because I'm constantly in a state of cat-like readiness. <laughs> oh yeah, you know. So you, I'm always like unwind. I'm like a coiled spring, right? Like, you know, just ready to snap at any moment. That's how I am. I feel like I mixed games. a few metaphors there, but I don't even have time to go back and analyze that because I'm always moving. So anyway, what's next? What's next? What are we doing? All right, slices. It's time for slices. Here's Lloyd. Sadly, I did not get to see this. It is in Florida, but it's a little bit up the road from where we are in Jacksonville. Um, the highway... Wait, you said that wrong. Did you I? You said up the road from where we are in Jacksonville. It sounds like we're in Jacksonville. It's in Jacksonville, a Which little is, bit up the true. road from where we are. A Which little is, bit up the road from where we are Two and a half hours is more than just a little bit up the road. Just well, uh, I'm on, thinking a gl- on a galactic scale. <laughs> on a galactic scale, it's very close. It's like if you said... Uh, you know, where's Jacksonville in relation to Orlando? A four-day in walk. relation to Alpha Centauri, like a five-day oh, walk, it's like right up the road. <laughs> See, but I do all my time measurements and distance measurements and in, in um, perspective of the old west. Oh, oh wow. okay. See, I I do all my time measurements in distance and my distance measurements in time. Okay. You know, like how far away is that? That's two and a half hours. What time is it? Uh, like the other side of the room. <laughs> Like from here to that lamppost. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I'm what time start. does a movie start? Uh, like two, three miles from here. I yeah. want you now to do that for an entire week, <laughs> but never explain it. Yeah. And people are like, why are you saying that? Just say, what am I saying? What? Yeah. I'm just trying. For an entire week. Tell you what time it is. Yeah. Well, two hours from where we are here in Jacksonville. Uh, a very um, misfortunate We're accident. not in Jacksonville. In Jacksonville, a couple hours from where we are. In Jacksonville. Comma. A fair distance from where we are here in Orlando. Yeah, comma. Moving on. We had a terrible accident happen. We didn't. They did. Dang it. Well, we as the human race, Cameron, it's the brotherhood of man. The brotherhood of man had an unfortunate incident. Okay, I'm going to start. I'm going to personalize it. My drive home can sometimes be hectic. It can be messy. And uh, it can be held up by lots of accidents on the highway. But not as dangerous as the one that happened in Jacksonville. Dangerous or delicious. Yeah. <laughs> when a, a truck overturned and spilled its entire contents across the highway. And I know what you're thinking. What are these contents, Lloyd? <laughs> Nothing but jello, my friends. <laughs> it, sweet, now, sweet jello. Now, uh, I guess I never really pictured. Because uh, clearly it didn't just spill boxes of jello mix, it spilled full fledged jello. I've never pictured them yeah. driving around like trucks, like diesel tankers full of jello, like pre prepared jello. Did they just like shoot it out from a hose when those, they get yeah. to the destination? No, those uh, it might have been those little cups of jello, maybe. Yeah. And it doesn't the lids actually, all squirt it off. I like to think that it's just a 
you know, big tanker full of loose like those jello. water tankers. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. A, like an they oil tank or a water tank. Yeah, with. And exactly. And they get to like a school cafeteria and they just hook a hose yeah. on the valve <laughs> and it just pumps raw jello in. I've there. got to think though, as an accident, it has to be the safest because if you see a mound of jello ahead of you, you're not you're not going to worry about putting the brakes on. That's true. Yeah, you, well, well, you, have, to look, you have to look out for all the wrestlers. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, and the the thing is. They didn't even have to move cars over uh, lanes. Like, they didn't have to squeeze traffic because there's always room for Jello. So, oh, wah, wah. hey, everybody. Wow. That was an average. Stevie K. Stevie K, everybody. <laughs> Stevie K. Uh, Lloyd, this is some news from, the, from your homeland. School children have, uh, have long complained that uh, Shakespeare is kind of difficult to grasp. Mostly very, Wait, American school very, children. very dim-witted school children in general. Okay. Uh, th- this is it's not particular to one country just dim-witted mm. school children in general complain that shakespeare is hard to grasp um well because he was oily yeah it's from all I'm the jello all the candy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he was kind of a greased up dead guy yeah. is what he is um but uh sadly with the help of a british satirist um, Shakespeare's greatest works have been thrown down and trampled upon and translated into youth speak. Oh, no. Okay. So, is that like, like Y-U-F spelled? Uh, Y-O-O-F. Basically, Ali G speak. Okay. So, you're talking about titles such as Macbeth, Much Ado About Sodal, uh, Two Geezes of Verona, and All Sweet That Ends Sweet in it. And so, Lloyd, I would, I would like to thank your countrymen for creating the greatest wordsmith uh, the English language has ever known, and then dancing upon his grave. Yeah. So, well, well done on that. It one. doesn't say that Ali G did that, though, did it? It said that no, someone it's done a, it Ali it's G someone style. Else in Al, in the style of Ali G, has basically taken your your country's greatest cultural luminary and just gone ahead and crapped all over it. Well, it wasn't me. Yeah, well, I, you're the only Englishman in the room, so you're you're the only person I have to blame for this. Uh, Snapple fact of the day: one brow wrinkle is the result of two hundred thousand frowns. That's not true. Or one stressful Orlando <laughs> now you're Magic game. It. Yeah. <laughs> or one stressful Orlando Magic game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I was watching the Magic game the other night. We're talking about you're talking about the game on Tuesday night. Yeah. No, it was. Uh, yeah, it was Tuesday, Tuesday night. night. Tuesday it was night. Tuesday night's game against the Raptors. We we had a very narrow victory. Very narrow. 104-103. Yeah. Uh, and it was, I mean, it was a nail biter is what it was. I have a nail in my hand right now that I bit off. Yeah. It was, it was a, a white knuckle type game. Well, the reason why is that we got up 26 to 8. We started the game huge lead. And then the entire rest of the game... They're just coming back little by little by little by little. And so everybody's getting more and more stressed out, more and more tense. Mm-hmm. There's flagrant fouls called. There's technical fouls called. The the place, the officiating was so just infuriating. The I've never been in an arena where 17,000 people in unison and in pure vile anger are chanting, refs, you suck, refs, you suck, repeatedly at least 10 different times during the game. I mean, wow. it's deafening. It was yeah. horrible, and yet sometime in that there was enough of a lull <laughs> in the uh, the noise of the crowd 
that I was actually watching this oh. on television, able to hear Cameron scream, come on, that was a travel. Seriously. I kid you not. I turned to my friend with whom I was watching the game and immediately said, I think that was Cameron. <laughs> and so... I remember exactly. The yeah, play, so I asked him I about it, and he was able to describe to me the situation. I was like, "Yes, that was it." Yeah. So, so I'm uh, worried about him saying him coming into work one day and you not, <laughs> and him saying uh, Cameron's not coming in. If you'd have been watching, you'd have seen someone jump from the stands <laughs> and physically maul a referee. Yeah, and he's now and in prison. He's he's, <laughs> he's in custody. Uh, the, right uh, now, where he can't hurt himself or others. It was one of the most uh, stressful games, and I've been going to games since the first. I was at the first Orlando Magic game in '89, and it was memorably one of the most stressful games I've ever been to. Well, you you could call it, and it, maybe it's not technically, but you could say it's a must-win because then the series it right. goes back to Toronto. you got to protect your home court. Exactly. So you need to win all your exactly. home games. Yeah. You know, we've got the home court advantage. We take the first two games. We're in good shape. Right. We take one of those and then go back Horrible. back to Toronto for two games. That's no good. Right. So uh, it was tense. I appreciate your spirit, though. Yeah, you you win spirit points after the after the game. You know there were because the Raptors went up late and and they uh you know they were close and they you know could have and maybe should have won. Uh, there were some emboldened Raptors fans in the crowd that really, you know, were talking. So they're infuriating, you know. And uh, after the game, uh, because it was so nail biting, I couldn't leave my seat. You know, I needed to go to the restroom because I, I didn't leave my seat the whole game. And uh, we're in there. We just won. Everybody can exhale. And we're in a crush, like a funnel bottleneck of guys trying to get in the bathroom. And there, I would say in this confined space, there were probably a hundred plus guys. Everybody's touching, you know, I mean, we're just so crammed in there. And in the middle of it all is this one Raptors fan, one guy who'd been drinking the whole game. He's probably, you know, mid twenties, just total obnoxious, you know, from Canada. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, yeah. what just, more need be said? He's just talking smack. I mean, it's like, you just lost dude. You know, he's talking smack, just being the obnoxious. And one guy looks right at him. And remember, we're touching. I mean, so you, this guy in the middle of it is probably three feet away from me. And then, you know, this other guy kind of right next to him goes, hey, hey, and there's some figure skating competition across the street that you should be at. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, and the guy looks at him and he's like, oh, yeah? Uh, and there's some uh, cheerleading competition you should be at? Poorly played. Yeah, Very. and everybody, like all of us, I looked, I turned around and looked at everybody's like, what the crap was that? And and I go, boo. And also the entire, all of us starts booing him, right? Nice. He starts booing him. And uh, and one other guy across the room just started, he goes, uh, stupid Canadian. <laughs> and all of a sudden, everybody joins in in the entire bathroom of hundreds of guys is yelling, <laughs> stupid Canadian. It, that was one of the most satisfying. It was like a release of all the frustration. And we we're just bashing this poor Canadian right yeah. to his well, face. There, the, there's, your, there's your stress relieving yeah. exercise right there. Bash people. Yeah, yeah I just need to bash Canadians yeah, right to well, their face. The, the- <laughs> The unfortunate part about all that is the very next day in the news, it talked about how our diplomatic relations with Canada have broken down <laughs> since that that incident, yeah. uh, which is being you know referred to as the the lavatory incident. <laughs> the lavatory. Uh, were you, were you that cl- was the prime minister. When, was yeah. that? Are you talking about a hundred people crammed around the urinals? Yeah. 
Oh, it was crammed. I mean, you're. I mean, it was. It was. Really but you're crammed. talking about waiting to get there. You're not talking about you're all standing there. We're standing. The, in, it was a hundred people. No, we're standing like in the entrance of the bathroom, oh. trying to squeeze our way into the bathroom. Because otherwise, it'd be very odd that anyone was talking at all. Yeah. No. No. I mean, the whole stupid Canadian chant followed us all the way into the bathroom, and. Pretty much, and then once we got in there, there was two or three other Canadians in there. So were you urinating in rhythm to that chant? Uh, I had stopped chanting by the time it was my time to uh, participate in the activities. <laughs> but but I'll tell you, it broke open a lot of uh, anti-Canada sentiment that was uh, festering beneath the surface there in the bathroom. Yeah, I'll well, tell you that much. It's 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 just unfortunate that it came to that. But <laughs> yeah, we're but gonna get emails. They 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 started it though. Well, no, this guy was a stupid Canadian. I'm not saying all Canadians are stupid. Do we know this that guy he was did- Canadian? Yeah, no, no, the accent, the Raptors jersey, and the fact that he um, was um, insulting the U.S. And and, uh, and he had a denim jacket and denim jeans. Oh, wow. Which is the Canadian tuxedo. Yeah. He dressed up for the event. It was he the playoffs after hockey all. Hockey hair? Did he have hockey hair? He, he had, no, he was in a crew cut. Okay. You know, well, it's kind of hockey hair. Could be. Crew cut and mullet. I mean, that, what else he got? Yeah. Scarlet. <laughs> so... You know, I'm glad the Magic won. I hope they can keep going and pulling for him really hard. But I don't know how much more of this I can take. Yeah, so you definitely need a hobby. Well, like, I mean, I'm, I'm texting one of my buddies oh, who went with me to the first game. And we won pretty handily in the first game. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm like, I swear this team's going to give me ulcers. I'm yeah. texting him and telling him. And he goes, hey, you know, free free playoff T-shirts, free bobbleheads, free noisemakers, and now ulcers. You yeah. know, it's like yeah. the, it's the team that keeps on giving. Hey, you yep. get all that other what? stuff free. Yeah. Yeah, they come to the game. You come to the game, and they want to do like a big blue and white like theme. You come to your seat, and they put a T-shirt on your seat for you. I got one of those last year. Yeah. Um, wow. Th- but uh, have cool. you thought about beekeeping? <laughs> <laughs> Again, he's moving to somewhere. I'm moving to a downtown condo. I'm not going to be able to. Well, I mean. On the terrace, got, like, I guess. About you have like an armoire or something, like a dresser. <laughs> yeah, and I, I can put it in the second bedroom and just keep it foggy in there. Yeah, just keep, nice. yeah they'll, they'll be constantly sedated. But I think that that would really, there's something peaceful about that. I think you would really enjoy beekeeping. You have to also like honey. You like honey? You don't yeah. dislike honey. Yeah, no, I don't dislike honey. I don't yeah. ever crave honey. I feel like honey could disappear from the shelves tomorrow, and it wouldn't significantly change my life. I can't remember the last time I had honey. So Honey's one of those nice-to-haves, not need-to-haves. It may not change your life, but you could be attacked by an un- unappreciated bee. That's true. But and it would probably lower angry. the attacks by bears. Did <laughs> yes. you hear about... This is very sad news, right? It's very sad news. But the if you guys saw Semi-Pro... Which I did not. Oh, no, I heard about Evidently, there was a bear in that. He's a long-standing Hollywood bear. Yeah. He's been around for a long time. He he mauled and killed his trainer the other day. Uh, wow. Very so he's being sentenced to death, isn't he? Yeah. Well, I'm sure that they'll destroy him. Uh, the thing that bothered me, though, is everyone's talking about, like, I don't understand why they, like, there is no indication of why he would do this. He's a bear. Yeah. Yeah. You know, right. of course, he's a bear. He's being a bear. Right. You know, so I don't know. It's just a, it's a dangerous habit to keep bears around. So, <laughs> um, Smoking, keeping bears. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There They're are dangerous few, habits. There are a few habits you should <laughs> stay away from. So beekeeping is okay. Bear keeping. But, stay see, away. but beekeeping, it, that can hurt you too. Yeah. And beekeeping sometimes leads to bear keeping. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, it's a it's a gateway hobby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you start out beekeeping. Next thing you know, you're down on a street corner in the, the bad part of town, like buying a bear off some guy with scabs all over his arms. Oh, wow. <laughs> you, don't know, you don't even know how you got there. You're like, I need a bear. I need a bear real bad, man. I'm in a bad way. Those gateway hobbies. Got to watch out for them, yeah. kids. Well, you know, we have a lot coming up. So on that note, let's uh, close out Slices. Up next... Leland. Drinking in the morning sun. Drinking in the morning sun. Shaking off the heavy wall. I have you like a love gun. What made me behave that way? listening to Elbow. The song is One Day Like This from the album One Day Like This. Makes it easy. Recently, Leland released uh, an album called Opposite Way. And um, actually, the week that it came out, they came through the studio. And literally, it's been that long since we've been able to uh, run it. But Leland, please, please forgive us. (laughs) It's not... It's not because of you. Right. It's us. Yeah. It's, it's not us. you. It's us. It's us. We ran into some snags here and there. But thank you. They get, did a great job. It's awesome. So uh, check out LelandMusic.com. Uh, pick up their new album. It's in stores everywhere. So here, without any further ado, no more delays. At long last, the highly anticipated live performance by Leland. <laughs> any, one, two, three,
All right, this next song is uh, titled Opposite Way, and um, we just we really believe that uh, God's raising up a new generation of worshipers um, that aren't afraid to run the opposite way of the world and aren't afraid to live for God, and uh, even if that makes them you know, look like a fool, you know, and uh, just giving their life away completely to God. So that's what this song is talking about, uh, going the opposite way.
There's a lot of people out there struggling with so many things and going through so many different battles in their lives and, and uh, trying to just get past so many different hurts, and um, especially in other parts of the world, even out of outside of America and all over the world. And So this song is just kind of a song for hope, and uh, I just try to put myself in the, the shoes of so many different people that are struggling with things a lot uh, more horrible than that that I'm dealing with. So um, I try to put myself in their shoes and write a song about it So from their perspective, and I guess it's called Brighter Days. So. Moving on Through the sunshine And the storm And my dreams are set In stone And someday I'll be who I wanna be Before now I'll wait For the sun Shine again And for now I'll wait For the rain to pass away And seeing I'm looking for The brighter days Seem to fade away 
Wow. Many thanks to Leland for coming through and recording a truly amazing set of songs. Um, make sure to tune in in the next couple of weeks. We'll run an interview that we did with the guys from Leland. We will absolutely run it in the next few weeks on the podcast, so make sure to check that out. You can tell me how hard you had it, and you can show me all the scars to back it. And we can analyze each complaint, break it down and explain these mistakes I make. I like to tangle up the strings of the puppetry, but you knew me back when I was a younger me. You've seen Sean in all types of light, and I've been meaning to ask you if I'm doing all right. Yesterday, was that you? Look just like you. Strange things my imagination might do. Take a breath, reflect on what we've been through. Or am I just going crazy because I miss yesterday? Was that you? Look just like you. You're listening to Yesterday from Atmosphere. The album is When Life Gives You Lemons, dot, dot, dot. I can't read the rest. Uh, but the album is When Life Gives You Lemons. The song is Yesterday by Atmosphere. The next segment we're going to do is uh, feedback. But before we do that, we want to play the interview that I had in Africa with Leslie Chilcott. Like I mentioned, Leslie is the producer of An Inconvenient Truth. Uh, she was kind of the main producer of the team that, that did that documentary with Al Gore. Um, it's, it was a labor of love for her. The environmental activism and, and uh, stuff is, uh, is something that she's deeply passionate about, and I think it's really cool when somebody's able to uh, pursue their passions. You know? yeah, she's got an awesome website, too. Yeah, yeah she has a nonprofit, a non-profit awareness yeah. thing called Unscrew America. And Unscrew America is kind of raising awareness about simple changes you can do with things like uh, lighting. Yeah, and if, you know, 10% of America went from incandescent to compact fluorescent or LED lights, you know, it talks about all the changes and positive changes that can happen. And you've got to check out this website. The yeah. interface is incredible. And if you click around enough, we're not going to tell you how. But you can get some Hall and Oates action on there. It's unscrewamerica.org. Uh, she's an, you know, obviously an award-winning documentary filmmaker. She's been also uh, doing commercials and things like that, and other part, you know, in her career up to this point. And I was able to sit down with her for a few minutes in, in a hotel in uh, Nairobi, Kenya. And talk to her about her career, what she's doing, and you know how it all came together for her. And so here is that interview with filmmaker Leslie Chilcott. I would love to know how an inconvenient truth happened. How did it happen? How did yeah? How did it come to be? Um, well, f- for me, for my part in it, which is actually a similar story for everybody, about five or six years ago. Um, there are a group of us that uh, were part of this organization called the Detroit Project. So it was Ariana Huffington. Do you know who she is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, Lori David, who's another producer on An Inconvenient Truth, Lawrence Bender, Scott Burns, and I. And Scott Burns was a commercial director for many years, and I um, produced a lot of commercials and uh, enjoyed commercials very much because every three weeks you have a new job basically. Right. And, you know, it's a challenge. It's, everything's always an emergency. I mean, everything's emergency in production, but in commercials, you actually have a little bit of money to throw at it. And, of course, it's never enough, but you, you have to make things happen. And um, you get to shoot in some exotic places, and, you know, that was really interesting for a while, but in the end, you're selling widgets. And every time I got the opportunity to do a PSA, a public service announcement, I was like, yeah, that's great. So when I um, when Scott called me, and said there was something we were going to work on with Ariana Huffington. You know, I had heard of her for a long time. And um, 
there was actually a, a, a PSA even prior to that where I met her. But the, the one that really got a lot of traction was we, we made these PSAs that basically linked driving an SUV to Middle East terror, terrorism. So we would show a guy... A at, subtle at, message. Yes, very subtle message. But the way we shot the commercials, they were really effective. And, you know, stations are required to donate a certain amount of time to public service announcements. And every time we thought we were going to run in a certain market, something would happen at the last minute and the spot would be inexplicably pulled. And, you know, it didn't run anywhere in Michigan or anywhere near Detroit. And instead, the news that night would cover, you know, spot pulled from network and then they would show the spot and it was way more coverage than we would ever get and Ariana put up this simple website with three commercials on there that we did and raised something like I don't know $200,000 which isn't that much money but this was granted six years ago or maybe even seven years ago now before it was in vogue yeah and $200,000 were suddenly raised which was not enough to air them in certain markets but you know everybody volunteered and we made them for, for practically nothing and I sort of linked, wow, you can, you know, sadly, you know, media this this in this day and age is how you can make a difference. Mm-hmm. And um, so we all kept in touch. We did more and more Detroit Project Spots. Ariana was running for governor. We started um, working with her, and we were all set to do commercials when she dropped out at the last minute. And... Um, I just used to see them at events a lot. And then Lori had gone to see Al Gore's slideshow, and she called Lawrence and said, you got to come see this. And then they went to Participant, and Participant is a film, small film studio, independent film studio, who only, uh, they do films and documentaries with social cause. So um, they may finance them, them themselves, they may co-finance them, they may just buy into and help find a distributor, all different sorts of ways. But for every movie or every documentary, they have a website, um, which used to be called Participate, which is now called Take Part, which has like some social outreach, like this is what you can do, or here's a te- like we did a teacher's guide for an inconvenient truth. So Davis, the director, was heading up the documentary department at the time, and they're like, you have to go see the slideshow. We want to make a DVD or a movie about Al Gore. And Davis was like, a slideshow? And the star is Al Gore? <laughs> He's like, I voted for him, but no, I'm not going. And Lori is like, you're going. She's sort of, Al calls her a Category 5 hurricane because she just... You know, can sometimes just she's like the word of God, <laughs> it, or it sounds like the word of God. So Davis went, saw the slideshow, was transformed, um, was already leaving his post at Participant. Uh, he's been a director for a long time. His father is a well-known documentary filmmaker, and you know, didn't want to be staffed. Just sort of tried it out. Went freelance. Was going freelance anyway, and said, you know, since I'm leaving, why don't you know why don't we do this project and. Jeff Skoll, who owns Participant, kind of had the same reaction. Al Gore slideshow, you know, and went and saw it and said, yes, right then and there. So um, I actually came in in the middle of those two things. Lori and Lawrence pitched to Scott, and then they called me and said, we're having a meeting tomorrow uh, about this Al Gore thing. And that was pretty much it. So I, you know, rearranged my schedule, showed up at the meeting, looked around the room, and there was this guy I didn't know. And the guy turned out to be Davis. He looked around the room, knew everybody but me. <laughs> and at that meeting, you know, 
they're like, what can we do it for? You know, I was just learning about the project. I threw out a, a you know, a very, very low figure. Um, we had a quick discussion, flew up to San Francisco the next weekend, met with Al, had a very serious, long meeting with him, convinced him that we were the team to make the movie, and he said yes at the end of the meeting. Now, Lori David had been working on it for months because other people, you know, had also wanted to make the movie. And, like, 11 days later, we started shooting, and it was Davis and I in the field. So, What was the shoot like? How long did it take? The shoot, um, we started shooting in July, a few days here and there. Shot a little bit in August. Um, we did a live taping of the lecture in September. A couple scattered days in October. And um, picture locked first week of December. And we shipped for Sundance in January. Wow. So it was a lot of sleepless nights, which I'm not so good at doing anymore. So but, I mean, last night was an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> I at least got that. Did, did you have any idea while you were making it that it would be as significant as it turned out to be? Well, no. Not at all. Because we were making a movie about a slideshow. I mean, that sounds like a talking point, but we were. We were, you know, and, and in the beginning people were like, well, maybe it's direct-to-video, maybe it's this or that. And there were a couple of us that just said it's a movie. And, and partly it was because, you know, already I was concerned about global warming and thought I knew a lot about it, but until I saw the slideshow, I didn't know about, you know, how significant species loss was or how the fact that the, you know, the the hatch hatching times for the birds and the worms are off and, like, all these little things that you don't really think about. I mean, part of the reason everybody's been so confused about global warming is because, well, if there's global warming, well, then why is there more snow here? Why is there more rain? Well, there's more rain because the ocean is warmer, and there's more evaporation, creating more clouds, creating more rain. But until you have someone that walks you through this step-by-step process, you know, it's, these are the steps that lead there, people, you know, people can confuse it really easily. And that's what Al did such a such a great job doing. So this was a labor of love for you? Complete labor of love. And I had to tell myself this is a movie because, you know, at one of the, maybe the first meeting, Al said, we have a planetary emergency. And it wasn't even a question of whether or not I could change my schedule. I just knew that I, that I had to do it. And one meeting with him, and I knew that I had to do it. Because once you see him give the slideshow live... You're like, first of all, you, you have a couple thoughts. One is, this is what he's been doing, all, you know, these last few years, traveling solo with one assistant around the world, giving the slideshow over and over and over again. The second thought is, why is he so likable and why is he so funny and why didn't I see that before? Because <laughs> he's, you know, we all knew he was ridiculously intelligent, but I don't think everybody knew that he was witty and that he's just very affable, you know? He's extremely likable. And, you know, with the Internet, a lot of his speeches are now published directly online, and there's no media filter that distorts what he says or how he acts or only chooses the clips where he's being, you know, stiff or wooden or whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, even though I was compelled and it was a labor of love, I still kept saying, it's a feature, it's a feature, it's a feature, but it's based on a slideshow. You know, so what are we going to do? How do we replace that interpersonal experience that you have when you sit in the theater and you see Al? Like, we can't just take the lecture and put it up on the big screen. Mm -hmm. And then, so, Davis, the director, and I started thinking of ways that we could show a side of Al that people hadn't seen. And that's where, 
you know, we we got him to talk about his family again. He had talked about his son's accident before, and he was skewered in the press for being opportunistic for, for telling a true story. So he was very hesitant, and we just included him in the editing process and said, you know, we'll always we'll always check in with you. And and one of the biggest challenges was he has he now has more, but at that time I think he had like 700 slides in the genome of slides. And usually, on average, he would show anywhere from like 275 to 375, depending on the audience. And he's remarkable. Like, if there were fires in Colorado that day, he'd download a picture of the fires and a chart showing what that was doing to the atmosphere in that area. It's like insane. We could hardly keep up with him. But when we said we can't have a movie with 700 slides, (laughs) you know, we've got to narrow this down. He'd be like, I totally understand. And then we'd start going through them. And he had a reason that every single slide had to be in there. And it was just, it, it was hilarious. It's like there are 38 or I can't remember the exact amount, but, you know, 30-something wonderful, amazing slides on how horrible the melting glaciers were, you know, 30 years ago and now. And then it would be, like, X number of years ago and now. And each one more devastating than the next. We still can't see 30 pairs of those and, you know, sitting in a movie theater. And because his lecture was so logically laid out, he had a reason that it was like stair steps to him, and you needed every step to tell the story. So we were at his house until 3 in the morning several times debating the merits of individual slides. How many did you end up using? We ended up using over 300. Out of seven. Yeah, but um, for the live lecture, we got it down to like 350, and then we ended up cutting, you know, more than 50 out and then adding some in later that were really relevant um a lot of the katrina stuff we were supposed to shoot the day after katrina in new orleans at a conference of european insurers and a lot of european companies like reinsurance companies are saying if your large corporation corporation excuse me doesn't prove to us that you're taking steps to combat global warming we will not insure you and so they were having a meeting in the U.S., and we thought, oh, we'll capture this, and we'll let people know this is coming, because if it's money-based, maybe the naysayers will pay attention. So we were all set to go. And then um, the day before, Katrina happened, and we didn't go, and we never went back, because we thought it might appear opportunistic. But by the time that we actually edited and finished editing, we felt it was okay to to put some Katrina slides, but and, and it was very, very significant. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, fre- the uh, number of hurricanes um, or the frequency of hurricanes isn't necessarily changed, but the intensity is by global warming. There's a little bit of a debate about frequency as well, but um, intensity, definitely. So tell me about your nonprofit. Unscrew America. Unscrew um, America. Uh, I had helped Lawrence Bender launch this nonprofit earlier this year, which I got lucky enough to name, called 18 Seconds. 18 Seconds is the amount of time it takes to unscrew one light bulb, one regular light bulb, and screw in a more energy-efficient one. He was pushing, he and Walmart and Department of Energy and Yahoo and a whole bunch of people were pushing CFLs, and Yahoo actually developed a CFL counter. And I thought it was really good, but nobody, including Walmart, was talking about CFL disposal, CFLs contain mercury, those fluorescent lights that we've had. They're toxic waste. They need to be disposed of like batteries. And so while if you do the math, even if you did throw it in the trash and it breaks, less mercury is emitted into the air than would be if you used a regular light bulb in a city powered by a coal plant because coal 
power plants emit mercury. But still, it's hundreds of thousands of these, you know, there's 70 million of it. There's hundreds of thousands of these going into the, the, the landfills and the trash. So I thought somebody really needs to educate people because they don't know this. Or the few that do think that if you break a light bulb, you have to call, like, you know, the local county toxic waste disposal. And it's not, it's not that extreme either. So I thought that there was room for education there. I thought we could do a more youth-oriented campaign. We actually told them about Unscrew America. Um, I'd been working at this advertising agency. I, I produced commercials both on the production company side and on the agency side. Mm-hmm. And um, we started to help Lawrence and came up with some great ideas that that were and Lawrence and I are really good friends but they were just a younger market and and more um, com- comedy based than what even though the Department of Energy and Walmart weren't sponsoring it they were weighing in so I said well I got that off the ground and got that going and then this ad agency I was working for they're called GSDNM out of Austin we partnered I launched Unscrew America and that's to educate about CFLs but more importantly to pitch LEDs LEDs. Yeah. I was going to ask you what the alternative is. Yeah, yeah. And LEDs, you remember on like your old alarm clock and it had the red yeah. dots. Well, they've developed those in every color now and a variety of color temperatures. And this, this math isn't exact, but a CFL in general, if you buy an Energy Star one and it's not a giant multi-pack from China, they're about 10 times as efficient as regular light bulbs. LEDs are about 10 times as efficient as CFLs. And there's no mercury. Same amount of light? Yeah, same amount. Really? Yeah, and it takes less energy because, like, a, you know, I forget what the exact math is, but the but an 11-watt uh, LED is about equivalent to, normally I know this, but I'm still sleep-deprived. It's either 40 or 60 watts. I'll have to have to look it up. I can't believe I can't remember that. But um, Where can you get them? You can get LEDs. LEDs are behind the ball. Most of the good LEDs you have to order online, and then, or you have to get them at specialty lighting stores. Home Depot, Target, all those people are very behind on LEDs. Mm-hmm. They're just not getting um, up to CFLs. Yeah, they're just getting up to CFLs. And a lot of them make these multi-packs of CFLs that aren't, that aren't very good. Mm-hmm. Um, there's several companies that are coming out with new CFLs that m- most CFLs contain um, five micrograms of mercury, and the new ones contain one. And CFLs now, there's different color temperatures, so like anything below 3,000 Kelvin is kind of a warm light, and it's not that alien green-blue light that we used to see. And LEDs are doing the same thing. LEDs are really expensive, though. You pay a little more for a CFL, you pay $15 for an LED. Um, Like, this would be considered a task lamp, and that's how much it would cost. So there's a lot of companies right now sort of scrambling, because LEDs definitely are the next thing. The the screw and light bulb invented by Edison 120 years ago, it's dead. Mm-hmm. All new home construction is being made with different types of fixtures and fittings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's so many people in this country. If all of us changed five light bulbs, it would be the equivalent of taking three million cars off the road. Really? Yeah, it's insane. If we all switched to LEDs, it would reduce America's total energy consumption by 10%. So the numbers are staggering. Just like when you, an example I like to use is um, when you plug in your cell phone charger and then you unplug your cell phone, you usually go to work and you leave the charger into the wall. Well, there's this thing in America that we have and some other countries have it, but um, it's called standby power. And as long as it's plugged in, 
then it's sucking a little bit of power. It's minute, but times 70 million people times, you know, some people have more than one phone or at the home in the office. Um, there's several studies that say that 5% of the energy used in America is by people leaving things plugged in. Hmm. Well, it's the same thing. It's, you know, people leaving lights on. Yes, we, you know, we learned in the 70s to shut our lights off, but people have stopped doing it. And people have definitely stopped paying attention to using more energy-efficient bulbs. I mean, how many houses do you drive by at night and, like, all the lights are blasting and they're all, like, 100-watt incandescent light bulbs? So if each person changes five bulbs, that actually makes a big difference. So we designed this really funny comedy-based campaign um, to reach a younger market, maybe 12 to 34, but main, you know, really concentrating on 12 to 24. Um, and we have TV spots and print, and we just launched at the end of February. Very and cool. Yeah, it's all it's all pro bono. So I've 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 got it up and running with GSDNM, and now I'm entering fundraising mode, so we can um, get more of our commercials out there and actually make more commercials. So I'm curious. You mentioned commercials. I'm curious. You know, a lot of people who read our magazine, you know, are 24 years old. Want to be the next great filmmaker? They want to. They yeah. want to win the Academy Award, yeah. you know, and they want to make a difference too, you know. Yeah. So I'm interested to hear your career career track. You know, you okay out of college, right? Into film school, right? How did you get? Didn't go to film school. You didn't. I went to USC. Okay. And I was in the entrepreneur program in the business school, and I kept going to my friends' cinema classes, and then I started working on student films. And then I was going to screening seven nights a week because, you know, in L.A., there's always a screening that you can get into where they need focus groups or all of these things. And I had always, you know, studied a film informally and had always, you know, loved the movies. But I just never, I was going to high school in Colorado. It just didn't occur to me. And not that Colorado has anything to do with it. But I wasn't, I wasn't, I had not a single relative friend. I knew no one in the industry. And, um... A friend of mine said, well, you know, why don't you think about, you know, producing or entering, this is what you love, or directing, or whatever. And I thought, oh, that's kind of a good idea. So after college, um, I started working in MTV. How? 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 I I actually tried to get a few jobs, and I, I managed to land a few interviews, and they, you know, by looking at The Hollywood Reporter, basically, and there's all sorts of online services now, and it's definitely easier. But I would go in and they'd be like, you're one of 300 applicants. We've narrowed it down to 20. And I would say, well, why did you pick me? I had no, you know, these student, a few student films. And um, my very first job that I wanted that I interviewed for, um, which was an assistant to a literary agent, sort of not direct production, but um, at the last minute I got a call, like the night before they were supposed to hire me and that somebody's nephew you know, needed the job. And I was like, I've heard, I even said to the guy, I go, I've heard of this happening, you know. <laughs> so I thought, okay, well, I need to regroup. And um, I was temping at Taco Bell headquarters. I never tell this story, but it's kind of stupid. <laughs> and I was doing computer work, and I saw these video guys run by. And I'm like, what are you doing? And they're like, well, we're doing, you know, corporations make films internally called industrials. I'm like, oh, we're doing a training video for the fire training. safety. And then, you know, the Fiesta menu is coming out, and we're doing a Fiesta. And I'm like, can I work with you instead because it's really boring? And they're like, okay. And they had a Taco Bell that they would always shoot at at night when it was closed. And I just started being, you know, a production assistant. And um, after doing one or two of those, I met some other PAs 
that worked at MTV in various places. And the next time MTV came to town, they're, they're more based out of L.A. now, but then this main hub was in New York. Um, I got a call and worked on one of the live shows. And MTV... Which one? Is, um, it was called Half Hour Comedy Hour. Mm-hmm. And MTV is fantastic boot camp if you have half a clue because they will give you some important job that you are not qualified to do if they think that you're, you know, you have you have a little bit of an idea of, you know, being able to figure things out. So my first job was doing cue cards on a live, it was live tape, but a, you know, multi-camera show where they put a headset on me and the director's like calling cameras and I'd never even been in that environment before. And they're like, drop the cue cards and it would go, you know, before the main camera would catch them. And, um, you know, I, I just got my next job. I was doing all sorts of, I worked on, I stage managed fashion shows. I was just doing, like, all this crazy, you know, as a PA, you do anything. Sure. Your job might be to go out to the parking lot and lock up, you know, the parking lot so no car drives through because you're doing car shots, and that's your job for the day. My first commercial job was sorting cornflakes with the, um, what's called a home economist. They do the food and picking out the largest flakes for a bowl of cereal. You know, it was just, like, absurd stuff in the beginning. But um, pretty quickly there were some good opportunities, and I started, you know, the, the steps are you coordinate, you production manage, and then I started producing. And so I've produced commercials for 13 years now and um, worked on a small film, started getting more and more interested in documentaries, and then An Inconvenient Truth was my first documentary. Really? Yeah. So nowhere to go but down. Nowhere to go but down. Yeah, exactly. Where do you go from A lot there? of pressure on this one. Well, di- working on documentaries, if you like the art form, it's... I think the thing I can compare it to, it's like a, a disease or a virus. Like, once you... Once you... You know, we had a little bit of success with Detroit Project. Once I saw what we could do with An Inconvenient Truth... Now, granted, that wasn't all us. Um, far from it. Al had this amazing slideshow that was just laid out in such a logical a way. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. But he addressed all the naysayers. Like, yeah. you know, they used to say that doctors like to smoke. You know, that's his example. All these things are there. And it was good for him to just address those. But um, once you once you see that you can take something that has a social cause and you can make an entertaining film about it, I mean, partly An Inconvenient Truth was successful because it was scary. And people believed it for the first time. And the other part was, you're like, oh my God, Al Gore's totally different than I thought he was. You know, I had no idea he was like this. But once you, once you've exposed a truth of some sort or shown a side of something that people didn't know, it's so much more gratifying than, you know, especially if it's a personal cause. So uh, you just catch the virus, and now I I mostly want to make documentaries. So I would like to produce a few more big documentaries or documentaries you know aren't really that big but bigger documentaries the one that you've done that that one that one did okay that one did okay yeah Yeah. and so I'd like to do a few more of those and then and then start directing them very cool yeah so um, I'll still do commercials just because it's they're fun you know it's a creative outlet yeah it's a creative outlet you know one week you're racing cars and next week someone's jumping out of an airplane you know what's your favorite commercial you've ever done well I don't know what my favorite is I could I could tell you one of the campaigns that was very successful commercials are interesting because a lot of times a commercial might be really funny or really beautiful 
but there's no way to tell if you move the needle in terms of sales mm-hmm. because there isn't a direct response. So people sometimes have these great inaccuracies about what makes a good commercial. You know, sometimes you see these hilarious commercials, but you can't remember what the product is for. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes you see, you know, the Hallmark commercials that, like, bring a tear to your eye, but, you know, do you really go out and buy a Hallmark car, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of my relatives were so excited when I did this campaign years ago. I did, like, the first 15 Aflac commercials. Aflac. And I'm not proud of them. It's just like humor of the lowest common denominator. But I, I've done some amazing commercials. No one cared. Everyone's like, oh, Affleck, those are so funny. And those aired New Year's Day, and they immediately had something like a 28% increase in sales within a month. Well, so I, that, was the, that was the first time I'd even heard of Affleck. Yeah, it yeah. Was that, that commercial. Yeah, and it's just existed. so simple and so basic, yet it really you know, resonated. This ad agency from New York called uh-huh. Kathleen Thaler. Yeah. How much of the duck is real? How much of it was CG? We had um, three uh, puppet ducks with puppeteers, and then we had anywhere from six to twelve real ducks. And we measured like the lengths of the, their bills and developed like we had two full-bodied ones, and then we had a legs only. And then by the time we did like the fourth or fifth commercial, we had an upper body, and then we had a dummy that. Um, we did one where they where he like falls off the edge of the Grand Canyon, so we had a dummy, you know, to fly through the air and whatnot. Oh, you didn't kill a little duck. No, we didn't kill a little duck. Oh, yeah, I know. So okay, I've heard this is this is personal. This kind of goes back to the global warming, yeah. uh, uh, environmentally conscious stuff. I heard you don't um, like drink milk or anything like that because cows are inefficient animals. Is that what I heard? No, but that's totally cool that that rumor is out there. Yeah, I um I was a vegetarian for a while in college. Nothing to do with global warming at that time, but be partly for animal rights um, because I don't particularly like the way that the animals are kept and raised and slaughtered and blah, blah, blah. But um, mainly because I started reading about it because I did a report in college, and it's a ridiculously inefficient process. It takes like something like 11.4, I don't remember the exact figure, times the amount of land to have cattle graze than it would if you just growed, you know, vegetables and fruits and legumes and blah, you know, all of those things. So it just was so inefficient. Um, and I'm not a vegetarian anymore, but I just try and reduce my meat consumption. And then a month ago, I read a new term that's trendy um, that uh, global warming advocates are now pitching, and that is just reduce your meat consumption. And if everybody did it, we could make a huge difference. I don't know if you know this, but cows poop between 90 and 150 pounds a piece every day. Come on. So all of that poop, there's methane Methane. that's a byproduct. And, like, you can laugh if you want to, but, you know, little boys, when they light their farts on fire, they were onto something, you know? I mean, like, there's... There's gas in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, coincidentally, I did these commercials, or it's why I took the commercials last year, and in between um, documentaries that were for PG&E, and we went and shot at a brand new, um, it was an organic farm that had turned over to be run entirely on methane. They were milk cows, mm. and um, they they eat in a line, and then they all poop, and it goes down this trough, and then it goes into a lower pond, and then an upper pond, and then methane comes out, and then it's converted into energy, and the energy powers the farm. And PG&E paid for half of the project because it saves them energy, too. Wow. 
So all these, you know, cows, more cows, more poop, more methane. So if you reduce your meat consumption, specifically beef, other animals contribute, but not as much as cows, you can make a big difference. So the category for these people who consciously do this now is you're called a meat reducer. A meat reducer? Yes. So if you become a meat reducer, change your light bulbs, become a meat reducer. Um, Get a hybrid Yeah, the only thing I said on this trip was that I didn't eat veal. No, it was that um, we were at Bourbon. Yeah. And you asked if um, gelato had milk in it. Because I'm lactose intolerant. Ah, okay. Because then you walked away, and I was like, I asked Steve, I was like, is she lactose intolerant? And he goes, no, no, no. She, you know, it's from a cow, and cows are very inefficient. (laughs) I was like, she is on another level of intelligence, (laughs) if that's her thought process about gelato. Technically, that's true, but that's Uh, not why. And then, but I, yeah, I don't know why. I've been sleep deprived this whole trip. I just suddenly couldn't remember if there was milk and gelato or not. (laughs) But I decided that it looked very creamy. Did you have some? Oh, yeah. I was like, it's got to have milk in it. It was good. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks for your time. Sure. This is fascinating. Is it too boring? They call me the hippopotamus Flows that glow like phosphorus Popping off the top of this esophagus Rocking this metropolis I'm not a large water-dwelling mammal Where did you get that preposterous hypothesis? Did Steve tell you that perchance? Steve... You're listening to Hip Hop Apotomus versus Rhinoceros by, of course, Flight of the Concords from the album Flight of the Concords, which came out last week. Um, get the clean version. It's really funny. Very exciting stuff. Cool. All right. It's time for your feedback. Last week, we asked you for your close encounters of the animal kind, and you guys did not disappoint. So here are some of our favorite emails. All right. So Zeke Smith, uh, he's talking about he and his friend were studying abroad in Beijing, and that's studying like overseas, not studying abroad. He's not being misogynistic uh, for a summer. And uh, they, they're walking around in, uh, in town. And they're walking by some bushes when suddenly an orangutan jumps out of the bushes, grabs one of the smaller girls in the group, tucks her under his arm, and takes off down the street. What? Okay. So they all scream and run after the orangutan, right? Well, we've all been there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, a planet where apes evolved from men. Uh, so he said the girls were dressed really nicely. And so they're crying mascaras streaming down their cheeks. They're tearing off their high heels, <laughs> <laughs> trying to throw them at the ape. Um, and so, uh, the, the orangutan at this point runs into traffic, gets startled. And, uh, he, they just sets the girl down on the sidewalk and runs off in the other direction. Wow. So she was startled, but physically okay. And so of course this leaves them wondering like, well, that's not the most normal thing to happen. Like, how would an orangutan just appear out of nowhere, grab one of our friends, and try and go all Kong on her, try and climb up the Empire State Building? Uh, the lair fan- found out that he'd escaped from the Beijing Zoo wow. and just happened to be that uh, they were walking in the area. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't have a camera on them, so it's still our prerogative to call them dirty liars but i like to believe zeke that this is true i like to believe the girl was actually carried several blocks by an irate orangutan the the funny thing is though that from what i know of ape society which of course i learned by watching the planet of the apes movies the gorillas are typically the the very warlike ones and orangutans are generally scientists or philosophers yeah so he was probably just doing some kind of study yeah 
So I have one here from Karina. And she she said she, when she was eight, uh, her mother and she traveled out to the relative's farm where they raised pigs, turkeys, and ostriches. The adults instructed uh, the kids to go and steal ostrich eggs from the nest while they fed and distracted the ostriches. As the eggs are huge, we can only steal one at a time. Ostriches, that's a tough word to repeatedly say, by the way, uh, can run pretty fast and actually are a bit scary, especially when you steal their eggs. A bit scary? Why? Why? I thought it was a good idea for us to steal the eggs. I don't know. Uh, Now, the outhouses were located in the far corner of the turkey pen, which housed about 30 turkeys. One night, my my mother and I decided that we couldn't hold anymore and had to venture out into the dark turkey pen with a lantern. The turkeys were curious and decided to swarm around us. It was terrifying. The turkeys were used to humans feeding them, weren't afraid to come around and and what felt like headbutt us. I don't suggest this experience, especially for children. So she was fulfilling your request for of a, a close date. encounter of the bird kind, of the avian kind. Um, That's right. The yeah. How in the world did parents think? Okay, kids, here's what we're gonna do. Uh, we want you to violate this animal's incredibly strong maternal instinct and steal the one thing that she would probably give her life for. So uh, we're gonna half-heartedly distract her. <laughs> And you go take the only possibility of her ever passing along her genes. Yeah. And run really fast. Oh, and by the way, she's three times taller than you and has razor sharp claws. (laughs) Go. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, by the way, um, totally unrelated. Cody Wilson wrote in about Hotel Rwanda that we talked about last week. And he said, you know, so that's not accurate. But there's a movie called Sometimes in April that's awesome. And it's sad, crying out your eyes sort of way. Check it out. And that is the one that over there everybody talked about sometimes in April. It's sometimes in April. Because the genocide happened in April. So Uh, uh, that's the one. There's a couple others too, but that's the main one I heard about. So I'll check it out. Um, there's actually there's a film uh, that I I meant to mention earlier uh, coming out in limited release uh, this this Friday and it's called Dare Not Walk Alone and I don't know if you're familiar it's about with walking it. into a turkey pen at night uh, an ostrich pen oh okay but there's another film strangely enough of the same title uh, that's also coming out also in limited release I don't know how they were able to push this through but it was actually made by some uh, some folks from St Augustine. And it's about the civil rights movement in St. Augustine in the 60s. And somehow or another, I actually saw this film. It's a documentary. I like saw two years ago. Like two years ago. Yeah. And it is phenomenal. I saw it too. It's phenomenal. So Did like Friends of Friends make it or something? Because I saw it too. Why, why would we have seen it two years ago? Um, you, uh, because you, that's, when they, that's like when they first made it. They're from St. Augustine, but right. I think they just got distribution for oh, it. Oh, wow, cool. But yeah, it's, uh, it's phenomenal. So if it's playing in your city, go see it. Cool. Um, now you, you remember last week, there's, uh, quite a bit of discussion about astronaut ice cream and how incredibly impractical it was. Well, Anthony Bouye, real quick, Bouye Your brought up to Scott. Fact, stop it. <laughs> Sweet sassy molassy. <laughs> um, pay grandpa for the rub down. Give the mule a bucket of oats. This one's over. So anyway, he he brought up the fact that someone else figured out how to do this whole ice cream thing a lot cheaper, a lot easier, and a lot tastier. And it's uh, the good folks at Pop-Tarts who make the hot fudge sundae flavor of Pop-Tarts. They also make Pop-Tart. one-third of the food I eat each day. Yeah. So honestly, we really had to spend all this money to freeze-dry ice cream when you could have sent those guys up there with some Pop-Tarts. I do feel like I need to apologize for all the uh, the bitterness I had towards NASA. Astronauts. Because I recently, this weekend, in fact, just just gone, I went to the um, Kennedy Space Center 
Um, and I got me some learning. <laughs> and and they were they were really kind to you. Changed your opinion of astronauts. No, well, the like I used to be prejudiced against astronauts. I used to just I, now one of my best friends is an astronaut. No, no, no. All it is is soup kitchen. All all it is is they. I, I before <laughs> <laughs> an astronaut soup kitchen <laughs> changes perspective yeah. forever. Yeah. They're it's, very servant-hearted. Yeah, I used to think that astronauts were just people wanting to bump freeze-dried food off of you, and now I know they're real people. Yeah. Well, no, no. Was my this a my, before my worry was that they were spending <laughs> millions. They were spending millions on stuff like freeze-drying, freeze-drying ice cream, ice cream, and throwing boomerangs. But actually, going around there, they kind of have a lot of like. I think it's for, that, for this very reason, for people like me who go to the Kennedy Space Center to make them go, oh, I'm sorry, I've been so judgmental. <laughs> it's literally, there are posters and inform- information spots where it says, um, without, without NASA, they would not have the technology they use to do uh, mammograms to check for breast cancer without, like, basically, there's, there's just a ton of things when they were making something kind of small or detailed for part of a, a shuttlecraft, shuttlecraft has then been able to be used for something else. Which is great, but they made it with selfish motives. <laughs> they were never like, this is going to help people. That's they're true. like, They're like, this machine will enable us to eat ice cream in space. Oh, also, evidently, you can uh, use it to scan people for bone density. <laughs> yeah. What delicious. the heck do you know? Okay, I retract my statement. Astronauts, you're selfish and mean. <laughs> All right, so that'll do it for your feedback. I think for this week's editorial question of the week, I think I got one. So here's this week's editorial question of the week. Editorial question of the week. Hey. All right, you know, we talked earlier. I'm, I'm a little stressed out, a little on edge, probably because it's the playoffs. So, you know, I need tips. I need tips on how to relax. I need tips on how to de-stress and unwind. And I'm don't, open to anything, folks. Don't send coupons good for one free back rub. Yeah. Those will not <laughs> be you. welcomed. <laughs> Hugs never expires. <laughs> no. Yeah, don't send those. No, so, you know, I would like your tips on ways that I should relax. And yeah. then I will do one of them you right. know, in when, the podcast. Like, you're the kind of person, you have a stressful job, you've had a rough day at work, you know, the boss is on your case, you're coming home, traffic's bad. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> Never happens to me. Um, traffic is bad, you Can't know. Really. Uh, you, you get in a minor fender bender, you're coming in, and you know that the only thing that is going to keep you from tearing out your eyes is keeping those bees. <laughs> so, like, you know, that kind of thing. That okay. kind of thing. Something that, you know, for the next 20 years, you know what I mean? And it doesn't cost, I don't, I, you know, I don't, want, I don't want something that I have to go pay to get, like, um, you know, yeah. masseuse. Yeah. Well, bees are free if you're industrious and brave enough. Well, it's a one, well, true, or it's a one-time investment. Yeah. You know. Okay. So, write into editorial at relevantmagazine.com or feedback at relevantmagazine.com with your tips on things that I specifically, Cameron Strang, can do to relax. Okay, before we wrap up, uh, one last thing. Last week in passing, Lloyd and I mentioned our dire need for a uh, programmer. And we were blown away because like more than a dozen incredibly qualified people responded. Thank but you. only one got the job. And, and, and as of today, one did get the job. Yeah. And so I'd like to welcome Josh Strom to our team. First of all, welcome, Josh. Um, that was so highly successful. We thought, why not mention some of the other opportunities here? I mean, who knew, who knew we would have actually filled that one because of the podcast? In particular, um, our new director of business development, uh, Philip Self, asked us to mention that there is a great sales opportunity on his team, specifically selling advertising for Relevant Magazine sponsorships and some of the new digital stuff that we're launching. It's established. It's not speculative. It's not cold calling. It's yeah, good you're money. dealing with people who want to be in our magazine. Right. 
It's good money too. Uh, if you're experienced in the world of sales or media, uh, we'd love to hear from you, or he specifically would love to hear from you. So email yes. philip at relevantmediagroup.com. It's one L, philip at relevantmediagroup.com. Uh, we're also looking for contributors, writers, designers. Uh, if you want to be part of making our media, this is a good time to get involved. So, yes, um, you know, if you want to email me directly, I can I can get you the right person. Or you know what, email Teresa, uh, Teresa at relevantmediagroup.com. dot com. Teresa, T H E R E S A, like yeah. the Teresa, the Teresa at relevantmediagroup.com. Yeah. <laughs> or the Jizza, either of them will do. <laughs> So there you go. Many thanks to Leslie Chilcott for allowing me, indulging me in an interview while she was very busy on a shoot in Africa. Uh, many thanks to Leland for coming through. Remember to check out Leslie's site at unscrewamerica.org and also Leland at lelandmusic.com. On that note, we'll wrap up this week's podcast. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm William Shakespeare. And I'm Adam Smith. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Pay Grandpa for the rub down, give the mule a bucket of oats. This one's over.